0: Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Here we go. Greetings, my beautiful people. Welcome to another edition of Six Degrees of Miles. You know, I, I haven't been with you guys for a while. The end of the summer, you know what I mean? People started going on vacation and, and you know, it just, it just got crazy. School was starting or whatever, so I haven't been here for probably about a couple of weeks. But we are back in full effect. And I'm actually really excited. I know I always say that I'm really excited to have this guest, but not nah, for real. I'm really excited to have this guest. This is a man that I've known so, my goodness. We met uh, when we were going to college, actually, and we were both brothers from New York. We didn't know each other in New York, but... When well, you know New York is New York. When you when you get to college, and we went to the University of Connecticut. And if you're from Connecticut, and there's a brother from New York, you gravitate to. So <laughs> it's like, and he didn't live that far from me. And I'm, you know, well anyway, just to just to just to get it all get it all out. Um, his name is Matthew Barnwell III. What up, Matthew Barnwell what? III? Better known as Maddie <laughs> Love. We'll get What's to that up story. my man? What's up my man? <laughs> I appreciate you having me,
1: man. I'm excited to be here, dude.
0: Yo, man, listen, when I saw So let me just give the audience a little background on like when I saw this brother right here has been, you know, grinding for a minute, you know, and he's finally retired or whatever and you know, yeah. after his retirement, you know, I'll I'll, I'll preface this after his retirement. He wrote a book, and and that's what we're, we're we're here to discuss the book. But we're also here to just discuss his life and how he got to this point and and you know where it is. So, I, man, I'm elated to have you here, man, because like like I said, I've known you, I've known you through all your grinds, man. Yeah, you know, from yeah. college, you know, from like the acting, you know, careers and the modeling, you know, just everything. <laughs> and now, you know, the, you wrote a book. So I, I want to start from, minute. like, I started off by saying we both brothers from New York, right? You know what I'm saying? Right, so right, so right. basically, yo, let's let's tell the people, let's give them that New York insight because you and I both came up in New York in the 80s. Which was, you know, a wild time, right? Well, you, you just outdated
1: ourselves, but well, okay. you, you know,
0: bro, we, bruh, we l- can roll, l- we can
1: roll with that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Listen, bro, like no matter what, like you know, I got gray hair like a mofo. I tried to convince right. this eleven-year-old uh, girl that my hair was brown, and she was like, "No, it's <laughs> not." <laughs> Do so, like me, yeah. brother. Shave it all off. yeah Right. Exactly. <laughs> I saw that in your emoji. I was like, oh right, the ball the emoji. That's, me. That's
2: what's up. That's me.
0: That's what's up. So yeah, man, take us back to like, you know, where you grew up, where you're from, you know, and all that good stuff. And and we'll just, you know, walk through the life of yeah. Matthew Barnwell, Maddie Love, you know, yeah, we'll walk yeah, through yeah, all yeah. of Definitely. that. Definitely.
1: Definitely. Well, man, where do I start? Well, obviously, you... I was I was born and raised up in uh, Harlem. Yeah! So, uh, oh, sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. you already sorry. know. You already know. <laughs> and uh, me, my mom, my sister, we all, and my father, we all lived up there. It was kind of like when Harlem was Harlem. You know what I mean? It was like, uh, it was just people like us, people, you know, of color. It was all deep, deep, deep in there. Yes, I would, I would say the culture. When I was, yeah, exactly. And when I was in... Uh, sixth grade uh, my mom my sister and I moved to the Upper West Side. Um, They had gotten separated so we moved up there and it was a little bit of a a a culture change for me because it wasn't Harlem. It was the outskirts of Harlem but it wasn't Harlem so it was a lot of people who didn't look like me. It was it was kind of mixed but it was definitely different but it didn't matter to me because I kind of just fit in any everywhere you know mom and and dad always taught me, you know, it doesn't matter what you look like. It's, it matters who you are. So uh, I, you know, so I took that and uh, I ended up going to uh, uh, grammar school, uh, Corpus Christi, which was like on a hundred and I think first street. And I was there when I was living with my dad. But when I was, uh, when we moved down to uh, the Upper West Side, I stayed at that school. Uh, a matter of a, yeah, it was just. It was just a matter of uh, a change, you know, if you will, not so much a change of school. So uh, lived there for a little while, and then uh, we moved to like around Central Park area. And from there, uh, I went to high school, down all-boy uh, Jesuit High School. Wow. I'm go- yeah, I'm gonna tell you right now, it was different. That it was, that was definitely a That a culture shock, right? Yeah, it was. It was because I wasn't used to uniforms. I wasn't used to the, what we're probably going to get into later, but I wasn't used to the the racial tension that was this high school. It was because it was all, for the most part, it was mostly white, you know, which didn't make it a bad school. It was a good school. It's just something I wasn't used to, you know, it was a great school. And, uh, so after I graduated from high school, I jumped stripped from the city. I went to Connecticut and went to uh Yukon where you and I met.
0: Yukon uh, Yeah, <laughs> and
1: it was I I'm gonna tell you if if people don't know about Yukon, it was probably and I haven't been to any other schools other than Yukon, but that was probably the best school that I've ever been to. Not just such not so much academically. Because I was on the five-year plan. Let's get
0: that out there. I was on a five-year plan. So I wasn't the
2: smartest brother.
0: I (laughs) tried to get the five-year plan. And my mother was like, yo, you bugging. I was like, (laughs) I tried. You know,
1: but I I, I had to do what I had to do. Because I I, I wanted to make sure that I got my degree. And however I had to do that is what I did.
2: That's right.
1: Um, You know, and so, like I said, that's where you and I met. And, uh, you had the inside scoop because when you became a little cheerleader, people oh, were like, Oh, dad, did you throw that yeah. out there? Oh, I, had, I, had
0: to, I had to
1: put you on blast, but, you know, <laughs> but, you know on, on the real tip though, that's what I think I appreciate, appreciated about you the most. It was because it didn't matter what other people were saying or what other people thought a cheerleader should be. You right. were like, this is what I want to do. Right. This is what I'm, this is what I'm going to do. And. I appreciated that. I never said anything about that, but it kind of stuck with me. Like, you know what? It doesn't matter what people think, do what you do. And that's what I've taught my kids. you know, be a leader, not a follower. Don't worry about what everybody else's agenda is. Do your own thing. Right. Um, You know, so I spent my five years there and I knew back when I was five or six, maybe I wanted to be a cop. I didn't know.
0: So so hold up right there. Stop, 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 stop. Because I'm going to take you back a little bit because you said a couple of things about like, you know, going to school in New York and and being, you know, when when, when you talk about the Upper West Side, when I met you, you were on 110th Street between like, I want to say Broadway and Riverside.
1: Right in, right. in that right. white
0: building or whatever. So is that yep. where you moved from when you left, like, we'll call it Central Harlem? And is that the neighborhood you grew up in? Because for people that don't know who are listening, that neighborhood right. is strictly like Columbia University and right? Barnard right. and all of that. So right, it's, right, it's, right. It's, a, it's a college town-ish. Let's just put it that way. It's like a college right. town. So, is that where you moved to, where where it just became a little bit strange because there were now people who didn't look like us?
1: Right. That's where I moved to, but I moved up from like 148th Street. So that's where you know it was.
0: Yeah. You know, that
1: was that was the middle of Harlem. You know. That yeah, bro. And you were around the corner
0: from me, 148th, and what? Uh, between
1: Broadway and uh, Riverside.
0: Oh, you were up the hill, so I was down the hill. You know that that's how we speak in New York for those people right right, New York. right, 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 <laughs> right. You know, like up the hill, down the hill. So uh-huh. like I grew up on Lenox Avenue, which is down the hill from Broadway and Riverside. Yep. yep but yep. yeah, so all right, all right, cool. Now that gives me some even more perspective on where you were at. Okay. Right,
1: right. And so that's why it was such a big culture shock. You know?
0: Yeah, man. If you, know, if you know that area,
1: they're totally two different areas. You yeah. know what I mean? But um but I was able to fit in because that's what I do I be, I'm able to fit in wherever I go because again it's not about the people it's about the person and I was able to do my thing went to Yukon, which again was a predominantly white school yeah. but as you know we both were able to fit in because we were that type of people where we could just fit in with the person you know what right. I mean and uh so anyway fast forward
0: to me wanting to Wait, wait, Go before ahead. we fast forward, hold up, because I, I want to even talk about the your athletics. Did you play, you played football when you were in high school, which led to you playing football at UConn, am I correct? Correct, correct. So you talk know, about uh, that. So you, you went to this high school. Was that part of you, you know, fitting in, or was that just something that you loved? Or like, what made you gravitate to football? Because I know growing up in Harlem, we play football all the time. Like when it snowed, we would go outside. Yeah. Right? I'm sure you did it. Yeah. And we played yeah. football. Right? Exactly. And, and, exactly. Know, we did all of that in the snow. And then, um, you know, and even when it didn't snow, we, we always play football. It'd be like after a football game, everybody be outside to be like 30 degrees. We'd all be outside playing football, calling everybody. So was that part of you like fitting in with going into the, going to the, uh, the high school downtown? Well, you know, it's funny because I was always into
1: football. Even I was okay. growing up, I was always into football. My father had uh, season tickets to the Jets, mm. so me and him, me and him would go to Shea Stadium and go to the games and and hang out. But I was a big Steelers fan, and so I remember my cops huh?
0: telling, "Yes, sir." Oh, so I know what. Hula, hold up, hold up. That's the Iron Curtain. That's the, the uh, What is it? The Steel Curtain. That's the uh, Steel Curtain. Um, um, Franco Harris. No man, Franco Harris played offense. Man, come on now. But no, but I, no, but I, no, no. Right, 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 right. He to, was on a team. I'm going on that team. That's like Ninjo Green, right? You know, right, that, so right, that was when right. it was like Dallas and Pittsburgh always exactly. met up in the exactly. championship game, and it could go either way. So and I was, and
1: it was, give, and it was really Pittsburgh big. Thing, yeah, yeah, and it was really, and, and so I gravitated towards them. And so I remember going to a game with my pops, and uh, again, I was a Steeler fan. He was a big Jet fan. And so we went to a Steeler-Jet game, and I'm cheering for the Steelers. And he looked over at me and said, uh, if you keep cheering for the Steelers, you're never coming to another game again. And so I had to be like, <laughs> you know, on the DL type of cheer, yeah. you know. And, but I, I always always had love for the Steelers. So okay. it was kind of like I became a Jet fan, you know, because he was. I love and, it. Uh, but that's where I got the, the football, you know, Above. Uh, love for football, right you know, to play, but I never played, um, organized football. It wasn't like up here in Connecticut where you have kids playing at five, six, seven years old. We we didn't have that. So when I went to high school, I said, you know, I want to try this football thing out because I was an athletic kid, you know, and that was one thing about me. I was very athletic. So I'm like, okay, I can do this, but I didn't have the football knowledge, you know, um, from little things, just like if you're running with the ball, turning it to the other hand when the defense is coming from one way, you put the ball on the other hand. I didn't know all of that. All sure. I did was play with my athletic ability. That was right. it. So, But I joined the team and did really well. I did so well that, you know, I became All-City and, uh, you know, I ended up playing, like, every position that was on the team. Just wow. because i was I was athletic, but I met a lot of good people, but again, and this was partly this is part in my book as well when we get to that, but they, I had to deal with racism on the team as well, and mm-hmm. you know it, it was easy for me to deal with in a way because i I really didn't care what they thought or what they said. I just did my thing, and uh, it it helped me out it helped helped me grow and it helped me with my soon to be job at that point when I graduated from college, because when you work for any type of job, whether it be stop and shop, whether it be police, you learn to, like in football, you play the game, even if you don't like the people next to you, you do your job, even if you don't like the person next to you. So that kind of actually helped me with my future career. Um, There's little things along the way that just kind of helped me and helped me and helped me so that when I did become, you know, a a trooper, it was, uh, it it was easy. And I I don't want to say it was easy, but I had a better understanding about people, which in that, in that job, that's what you need.
0: And your athletic ability. (laughs) <laughs> to yeah, oh yeah oh yeah like all of that put, plays a part man
1: i had to put that on display a few times trying to catch some people you know what i mean <laughs> absolutely <laughs>
0: absolutely bro and like and, and that's the thing man because we're like an audio you know podcast right people in there see you like i gotta i gotta talk about this brother because brother has always been in shape you know what i mean he's always mm-hmm. been in the weight room he's mm-hmm. always been like that that has been his thing health is wealth Staying in tip-top shape, lifting—you mm-hmm, know—so mm-hmm. like that. That carried you throughout, and I, and I know. Well, you know, you retired now, and you always be talking about how you playing golf and all that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> you know, what I'm saying like, you're like, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, let me see, what am I do today? Oh, what yeah, is this? yeah, yeah. You know, but yeah, but yeah. I'm sure. Like I know. Like I haven't seen you in a few years. I haven't seen you since um the movie premiere, which we'll get to that. You know right, what I mean? Right. When you were down in in Harlem at the Schomburg, right, you know right, what I'm saying? With right, uh and, right. and you did the movie with I'm gonna say, was it Joe Levy? Is that dude's Joe name? Joe Young. Joe Young. Young. Joe right, Young right. and and uh Dennis White was in it. People right, who don't right. know who Dennis White and uh so was uh the dude from Onyx, uh Fred Joe Starr, right? Correct. Yeah, yeah yeah that was the movie and, and, and we'll get to that but uh mm-hmm. Dennis Dennis White is also when he used to be a rapper called Dennis the Menace you know mm-hmm. back in the day you know in New York or whatever but no that, that I mean I'm, I'm loving how this is flowing I'm loving how this is flowing so from your athletic ability to going into Yukon you must add somebody looking out for you and trying to figure out like how to get you on the football team or were you just a walk on like I don't even know no. that story. yeah no
1: um after I graduated from, well, and let me back up, going to UConn was kind yeah, of Yeah, what made you select UConn? It was kind of an accident because I didn't have, when you go to a Jesuit high school like that, you don't get offers from nice colleges to go play football because it's more academic. And it's a small school, you know, compared to the schools on Long Island where all they do is football. So right. I had to figure out if I wanted to play how I was going to do that. So I remember applying to colleges and I applied to a bunch of city colleges or SUNY colleges, excuse me. Sure. And, um, my mom had said, Hey, why don't you apply to UConn? And I was like, you what? Like, right. I didn't know. <laughs> I didn't know any, I've never, I didn't even hear about UConn. Yeah. She said, no, the university of Connecticut. And I said, okay, well, um, I'll apply, but you know, whatever. So I applied and, um, surprisingly I got in, I was like, okay, so, I went to go visit the school
2: uh-huh.
1: and it was if I can try to paint a picture when I went to go visit the school
2: uh-huh. it
1: was a beautiful, beautiful summer or April, I guess it was April it was a nice yeah. uh, spring spring day, everything was green, yeah and I, I might be putting my cell phone blast, but I went to an all boy Jesuit high school right and the ratio of women to men at Yukon was 3 to 1 so you can imagine what i saw as i walked <laughs> through the campus and so really? a friend of mine from new york had come up with me to go visit the school and i was like telling my my boy mike i'm like hey listen so far so good i like this school so then <laughs> i i went to the football and i said you know and again again i didn't know what i was doing but i went up to him and said hey Um, i like to play football for UConn. And he says, oh, okay. Um, And he asked me a couple questions and he says, well, I'll allow you to walk on. And so I did that. And by the end of camp, I was second string. Wow. There was a problem. Uh -uh. Um, In high school, I, let's just say, I had a a few concussions. Mm. So the, back then, it was, how do you feel? You okay? Go back in.
2: It yeah, wasn't I, like
1: it is now where you're out for four or five games. You're not in concussion. You're, you, now you're in concussion protocol. They didn't have concussion protocol. The concussion uh, protocol was, how do you feel? Good? Okay. Get back in there. So I had quite a few concussions. So when I went to UConn, uh, let's just say the guys at UConn were a lot bigger than the guys at my high school. Sure. And I'm on the elevator with uh, one of the running backs who was bigger than our biggest lineman, cool. And what? I had to tackle these dudes, so I was like, okay. And uh, I remember during uh, camp, I hit one of them, and I remember being on my back, looking up at the sky, and my eyes were open, but all I saw was black.
2: Wow! And I realized
1: at that point, um, it's not worth it for me to continue playing because. You know, I was smart in that aspect. I didn't want to hurt myself. Right. Uh, Mentally, physically, I didn't want to
0: do damage that was, you know, irreversible. So I just stopped. Right. You were super smart because you you must have had like a premonition of CTE. You know what I mean? Because that's like the thing that nobody saw coming, you know, when that doctor made that discovery and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah. I can see that, right. man, and to be having your eyes open and see black, yeah, that's scary. And the
1: you talk about CTE, that crossed my mind throughout my life. Up until about four years ago, I had a, um, a uh, I'm sorry, what do you call the um, A physical. I yeah. had a physical. And I thought about it, so I asked my doctor, I said, hey, listen, you know, I want to run something by you. I've had a lot of concussions. Through high school and i had one in college and um i was wondering if you could test to see if i have you know cte or anything like that he goes well i can but i got to kill you first and i said okay never mind i'm good you know
0: <laughs> oh right i can't start cutting your brain open <laughs> right right he explained
1: to me that the only way to find that or check that is when you when you die and I said well then I guess I will try
0: to live as long as I can absolutely like I said you you're you're uh, a very health conscious in shape kind of dude so I know that's many 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 years so so Mm -hmm. just so so people know about Matt Matthew Barnwell in college Mm -hmm. man he and and just telling people about you like if you heard me in the beginning call him Matty Love which is basically (laughs) what you know People be on blast as cheerleader, but yo, everybody <laughs> in school called this brother Maddie Love, right? So back in the day there was a hip-hop song by Grandmaster Flash and them called Larry Love. And it was like look, Larry, uh-huh. Yeah. know. So, we, yeah, so yeah. It, it immediately became Maddie. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm telling you, yo, everybody on campus called this brother Maddie Love. It wasn't anywhere they could go. It was like, yo, they go Maddie Love.
2: Yo, what up, Maddie
0: Love? And as you see, it it's still it's still carries. So your years at UConn, you know, boom. What I, I would like to to transition, I would yep. love to transition to, because, you know, when you go to school, right, you said when you were five years old, you knew that you wanted to be a police officer. I find right. that, like, amazing. Like, talk to me about that. Like, what made you know that? And then talk about the process on leading up to that.
1: It's a, well, it's an, It's one of the stories that is in my book. Oh, it is. So it w-
0: don't give it all away, but give it some away. Yeah, people gotta go I, I, and get this book. First, yeah, let me yeah, shout out definitely. the book. It's called Black Behind the Shield, a collection of stories the world needs to hear. So right. know that. And it's on Amazon and all that. Mm-hmm. So it's on Kindle. It's like all over the place. But Black behind the shield, a collection of stories the world needs to hear. Sorry, right, Maddie Love. Go on, man. I'm, you know, you, Maddie Love to me, Matthew Barnwell. <laughs> I don't even know um, who Matthew Barnwell third got- is. That's Maddie Love. <laughs> I'm sorry. You, I forgot where we left off. I forgot where we left You were on the Maddie Love page. I forgot where we left off. <laughs> T- talking about talking about from the time you were five years oh. old. Oh, and right. You knew right, that you right, wanted right. to be a police officer because I never knew that about you. Like, it's funny. This, I'll tell one story about us, <laughs> and you're going to laugh. When you and I took that sex ed class together, mm-hmm. I, do you remember we took the sex ed class? Like probably it was my senior year and whichever semester you were in, and we had to write like a, a, a thesis paper or whatever the case may be. And I think like that, like everybody in the class did terribly. And I think uh-huh. the woman who was the sex ed teacher it was a it was a black woman, African-American, what have you. Okay. And okay. she she basically got put on probation because she was giving us like work where like, you know, Ph.D., you know, theses and all that kind of stuff. I don't know if you remember right. that, but we, no, we I joined up as like team members in the sex ed class my senior year. Probably it was a uh, senior year first semester. OK. Yeah. So I don't you don't remember it. But I no. remember very well. Remember very <laughs> well. But so, so you were, so, yeah, and what I was making a point of was that, like, how did that take, so from five years old, and what did you even study? What did you major in in college knowing that you wanted to become a cop, a police officer? Well, to, to, I mean, to be completely honest, my major had nothing to do
1: with me be, becoming a cop. Okay. I, I studied human development and family relations.
0: And that again, has a lot could, to do with being a cop now, as we see it. But I hear what you're cor- saying, right? Correct. Like- but but the my, but my reasoning for taking that, I was a psychology major for a semester.
1: And I said, <laughs> so was I. I, I right. I, I, I can't do this. So I, stopped. I took
0: psych 132, and I was like, "Yo, this is some bull crap." <laughs>
2: right. And
1: I decided that I couldn't. I couldn't. I didn't want to be a psychologist, and so I became a. Uh, I, I did a human development and family relations, uh-huh. and I took that major. Uh, one, because it dealt with everyday life—old people, sure. young people—you know—and two, again, I'm putting myself on blast, but that major, other than nursing, had the most women in it. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to be honest. Because, Yo,
0: you're definitely honest, Maddie. Love.
1: You know, and and I'm honest in my book as well. So yes, you'll, you'll see that when you read it, but. You know, when you come from an all-boy Jesuit high school yo, trust that me. was very strict, and then you send this city boy out to the country, it, it, it's just—it's just different. It's yes, just different, indeed. you know. Yes, um, but you learn a lot about yourself in college and about other people. But anyway, that's
0: another story for another time. Cause yes, I'm tired of well, like class. I said, Maddie Love, yo, Maddie Love. There's a reason, always a reason. That's not why I got the name, but anyway. <laughs> <I know>.
1: Um... <laughs> When I was uh, when I was uh, <laughs> you know, five, I had an encounter with um, two mm. white police officers, mm. and uh, uh, my bike had gotten stolen. And like I said, I won't get into the whole details because you know I want you to read it and see for yourself. But I got in; these two white police officers helped me when they didn't have to. You mm. know, they came, they took the call, but they went beyond what they needed to do. And you know my bike had gotten, st- gotten stolen and I was upset. And that night, those same two white police officers came back to my apartment and knocked on the door and said, hey, we couldn't find your bike, but we found this other bike that we want to give to you so that you have a bike. And I never ever forgot that. That was probably the biggest point in my life that I was like, wow. And I said wow. to myself, "I want to be a cop so that I can give this feeling back to someone else."
2: Wow. That's
1: how much it—that's how much it moved me.
2: Yeah. And so at
1: that point, I always knew that I wanted to be a cop. I just didn't know where. I didn't know if it was going to be local, state, federal. I didn't know much about it. But when I went to Yukon and then met uh, a few uh, state cops, Connecticut state uh, troopers at um, this local bar, Huskies, that I'm sure you know about.
2: Um, <laughs> Huskies, I, heads, what else? Yeah, man? yeah, yeah.
1: I knew right then and there that that's what I wanted to do. Um, wow. And the rest is history.
0: So that, that's funny because I'm like, yeah, what was this local state troopers doing on UConn's campus other than? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. They, they got yeah. jobs and they're hanging out on UConn's campus? Wait, what?
1: Well, you know, I, I I learned something, too, about that, where it's a thing called jurisdiction. And mm. Huskies, this bar which everyone thought was on campus, was actually off of campus. So Yukon police didn't cover that.
2: Wow. The state police
1: did. So an incident happened. Two state cops came. And I had never met one or seen one before. But when they rolled up, I said, yep, that, that's that's." That's what I
2: want to do. Yo,
0: that's interesting because there was also like a, um, it wasn't a deli, it wasn't a bodega, but it was like a Cumberland Farms that was on, that was by campus. And I remember mm-hmm. I went in there, um, I want to say my freshman year, and I, I always have had this habit of carrying my wallet in my coat pocket, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, at UConn on a Saturday night, People, you know, the junk, high, whatever, you know, college kids stuff. They would go in there and be robbing and stealing left and right, right? Right. They'd be taking Correct. food, this, that never and, and I remember one day, the uh, I had a couple of police officer incidents up there, but I, I brought that up because I remember the, I guess the manager of the store was like, "Hey, how you doing?" I was like, "Yo, I'm good." Bro. It's like he's like, "So what's that in your pocket?" I was like, "My wallet." He was like, mm-hmm. "Let me," he said, "Let me see." I was like, what, you mm-hmm. think I'm stealing? And then mm-hmm. he was like, you know, and he was like, well, just let me see what's in your wallet. I was like, nah. He's like, then I'm going to have to call the cops. I was like, you don't have to call the cops then. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, that's right, that right. New York mental or whatever. And it's funny because the Connecticut, like, I guess, state troopers showed up. And then, mm-hmm. you know, he walked up and then basically me being the obnoxious kid that I am, right? You know, right. I, the cop goes like, yo, what, what is it? like, yo, he's like accusing me of saying blah, blah, And he goes, the cop's like, let me see. And I take my wallet out and I shove it in the manager's face. <laughs> like, <laughs> <you know? laughs> like, Gotta give him a lecture. The cop says to me, he's like, yo, why didn't you just do that in the first place, bro? I was like, yo, it's principal. Like, why is he right. accusing me of like stealing? You know what I mean? But I, I just told that story because, you know, like I said, the first running I had with the cops up there, I'll just tell the second one. Um, was I was coming from dinner, you know, like because I lived over in East Campus, so at Sprague Holcomb and and I want to say Whitney. I, Whitney, I, that's that's where I live. I was you, right next to you. Yeah, right. So I, I was coming from there, and as I was walking out of the dining hall, a cop is running at me with his hand on his gun, right. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I'm young and I have this, I also have this humor about me where I can make sudden movements and do something stupid, but for whatever reason, I was like, yeah, this isn't one of those times to do that. And so he runs up on me and he's just like, yo, he was like, "Uh," he goes, let me pull out your driver's license. I was like, I don't, you know, I was 18. I'm from New York. I don't have a driver's license. I was like, I don't have a driver's license. He's like, well, show me some ID. I was like, I got my meal card. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? But he was right, like the right. call came. It was like a black dude or a Puerto Rican dude on campus or whatever with a gun. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I was the first one that they saw when I just happened to be walking out of the dining hall. And you know, I could have either been back then black or Puerto Rican. So right, you know, boom. Right. But then they wound up catching the dude. It was it was a dude that I knew who lived in my dorm too. Puerto Rican mm-hmm. cat named Edwin or whatever, and they took him out, right. you know, handcuffed or whatever. But um, right. That's just the tangent or whatever. So so then you you graduate, you finish UConn, and then you yeah. what you you contact the state trooper police academy. Is that what you do? Because you got to take the test. You got to do all that. Work. Right. Right. I I uh I kind of had to uh, look up how to
1: apply for um you know,
2: for the academy.
1: And I had no idea how to do that. And we didn't have, you know, phones where we can just Google this and Google that. So I had to, <laughs> right. you know, I, I forgot how I found out. I think I had to call and they sent me an application and I filled the application out. And it was a, a nine month process to get accepted. I mean, you had to go through a physical, um, a psychological, uh, a psychological written psychological oral a medical um a lie detector you had to have a background check you had to do all the stuff and about 58 i think it was about 5800 people had applied to be a state cop at that time but they were only taking 80
0: so i was saying to myself there's no way that you know they're going to pick me but uh, but all the boxes shit. that you just named, like I'm like check 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 right. Like you check right. all and the I, boxes, right? And I felt,
1: you know, I wasn't a troublemaker. I never got into trouble. So, you know, I might have done stupid things, but never gotten into stupid trouble. I you mean, know, yeah, me. and, for sure, for sure. And so when he called me and said, you know, blah blah blah, we want to offer you a position with the state police. I couldn't say yes quick enough. I said to myself, and I sat there. And I reflected and I said to myself, OK, wow, you are now doing something that you wanted to do since you were a kid. Are you ready for it? Because My mom always told me, be careful what you wish for, because when it happens, are you going to be able to handle it? Right. And, you know, and I said to myself, well, I guess we're going to find out. And uh, it was seven months in the academy. Uh, it was it was brutal. Uh, they yell, they scream. You did push-ups. You did all kinds of stuff, but it was rewarding at the same time because you knew that you worked for something that you wanted. And I always tell my kids again, you know, things can be given to you, but they mean more to you when you work for them. And it's the truth. So and that's the same thing with this book. You know, I worked to get this book done and it means a lot to me now that it is done because it wasn't handed to me. It wasn't done for me. I mean, right. I had hope along the way, but just like else you know no one does anything by themselves um so that's
0: where it all started you know went to the academy and uh but it's interesting because I, i feel like like just knowing you and your hard work i feel like it it started even before the academy for you to get to that point for that hard work because like i said i remember you doing the calendar you know, in school, you know, I don't know what month you were, but you were, you know, like you know, I, I don't think you guys wow. understand. This brother did like a Yukon calendar and he might have been like, you know, April or something. Yep. <laughs> like I don't know what should month, we be talking about the book, man? We yeah, should be we are we gonna talk about, about the book because there's a lot of stuff that there's a lot of stuff that I, I just want people to know that you're a well-rounded dude, right? Like yeah. you you know, like the MTV days where you know You were doing stuff for MTV and, you know, and you, at one point you had the dreams of doing that too. But the one thing that I I can say about you is that, that I know about you is that you always had a plan. So like, Mm -hmm. it doesn't surprise me that like, when I got your email saying that you wrote a book, it didn't surprise me. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because I I think I knew that you had retired. Right. And I was just like, yeah, this brother always has a plan, you know, um, because I, I remember when you were doing like the, you were going to go into the acting thing, but you always said like, you're like, yeah, probably after I retire. You know what I mean? Right. Like you would always, right. always have like a, a caveat. Like there was always something implemented and you were very methodical about it, you know? So, right. but so, so, so talk to, talk to me. Cause I'm sure these stories in your book, I'm going to tell a story. Cause when I first found out that you were a cop, I, I wouldn't, I was shocked only because, you know, We're from New York, right? And our relationship, you know, with New York and the police is like, you know, like citizens of certain Mm -hmm. neighborhoods and the police is, it's not that great or whatever. And I think I told you that, you know, I took the police officer's test in New York after college as well. But, you know, during that time it it was, and they were actually killing cops. I I always talk about officer Ed Burns, you know, Ed Burns Mm -hmm. is my age. He was right, doing a stakeout right. out in Queens or whatever. And they came up and they just like straight blasted him. He was a rookie cop, you know, set right. by himself. And he didn't, what, I don't even know how many months on the job. And he became like a, a political campaign with George H.W. Bush or what have you. So mm-hmm. I, I, that's why I said I was actually kind of, um, I was like, wow, he became a cop. But again, it was in Connecticut. I wasn't really... Other than my incidences with the police at, you know, UConn or whatever, which really, if you think about it, in the grand scheme of things, is absolutely nothing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember a story that you told me, and I don't know if you were in the book, because I was like, yo, you're a cop. You're like, yeah, man, like sometimes I go undercover, cover, you know, mm-hmm. you're like, you, you know, you were talking about how I'll be dressed up as a UPS guy, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I'll have like yeah. you know, a, a clipboard.
2: I was yeah, like, in my yeah, mind, yeah.
0: like with the whole thought process of like, yo, they kill cops. My The first thing that came to mind was 21 Jump Street, because that's during that time. And I was like, yo, he's like playing 21 Jump Street in real life. <laughs> like, I, 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 actually, actually, what's really funny was
1: I was playing New York Undercover. There was a, a show called New York Undercover that was out.
0: I
2: remember.
1: Um, in the early 90s. And I loved that show. And when I was, on the road, um, in uniform, and when I realized it was time for me to make a change, I said, you know what? I wanna do undercover like those cats. Mm. And so I uh, had met this this one guy who had been in the unit, he was a sergeant, and he told me to apply, and I did. And it was cool because I got to be other people. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh,
0: you were acting. But
1: it, I I, I was, but the only difference is, is that this is real life yes and you know people see it on tv as and they can do this that and the other but you make a mistake that mistake yeah exactly so there was a lot of things that went on in doing that there's a lot of moments too that that happened that weren't uh they they weren't so good you know what i mean but Mm. i did have fun and i enjoyed my job and i enjoyed myself um even
0: with that but uh that's why i did it because of uh New York undercover. Oh, that's what's up. So, so I'm sure you, in your book, Black yep. Behind the Shield,
2: mm-hmm. a collection
0: of stories the world's need to hear. <laughs> uh-huh. You know what I mean? I'm sure you've got like plenty of those stories in there, like some of your undercover missions and some of things. Like I knew a cop here in New York um, um who shall remain nameless, but he was undercover right. too and his job was buying and bust. And mm-hmm. when you talk about like, that's probably the craziest under, like in my mind, because if your cover is blown, then right. that's a wrap. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. That's right. a wrap. Right. So, you know, I'm sure you've got stories that are very, you know, like, cause when I read on Amazon, what, what they said about like how, what your book was about, you know, <laughs> reading at times like a thriller. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And you just being, you know, just even the title alone, talk about the title, Black Behind the Shield, man. Like, because that's that's an intense title. But before you do that, let me explain to people listening that mm. I know this man. And although he might talk about the racism that he experienced, knowing this man, there is not a racist bone in his body. These mm. are collection of, of stories, you know, that, that were life stories that need to happen. And these are American stories, if you will, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm saying that coming off of like, you know, the George Floyd incident and like how everything, you know, got turned topsy and, and, you know, and, and how the race thing is always put, you know, front and center, center. I just want to make it clear that this brother right here who is a black man in America does not have a racist bone in his body. And I can say that from the bottom of my heart. Mm -hmm. Well, Miles, let
1: let me, let me say this is that the book, you know, you read the title black behind the shield mm -hmm. um, and it is a collection of stories. The world needs to hear. However, the book itself chronicles my life from growing up in Harlem through high school, through college, and up and through my time with the state police. and it's about the it's partly about the race racism that I experienced throughout. But it also talks about, you know, what made me want to become a cop. What made me want to retire? it you know, it talks about there's personal stories in there about my family, um, mm. in particular, my father. there's um you know, I also talk about, you know, and, and again, I can say this because I was one. But it also talks about why police officers or I should say some police officers are the way they are and why and what we can do to try to make them better. Because wow. there's a there, there's a stigma, unfortunately, that all police officers are bad. And I'm, yeah. I'm going to say it right here, right now, that that is unequivocally not true. I said, you know, and I say it once, twice, I don't know, maybe three or four times in my book that the men and women, whether it's a local, state or federal, the majority of those people are good police officers, cops, FBI agents, whatever you wanna call them. They are there to do their job and they try to do it as best as they can. But if you take two people out of a whole department who go out and do something that's unethical, who they end up killing someone, they do whatever it is that they're not supposed to do, those two people make the department now look bad, and it makes all police officers look bad. And unfortunately, that's the case, but it's not true. Most of the people, actually, the people that I've I've worked with, have been great people. Some have made mistakes, but most police officers are just good people trying to do their job. It's the ones, the knuckleheads, I'll, I'll call them knuckleheads, that mess it up for everybody else. And then when the public, you know, i.e. civilians see these stories on the internet on the news on their phone the first thing they think of which i don't blame them is these police officers are bad i don't want anything to do with police officers blah 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 it makes a good police officer like i thought i was our job difficult now because we're already you're already on the defensive and when you have a cop who's trying to do his job and you're already on the defensive it doesn't mix it's really tough to find peace in in, in that and so part of my book explains why that is and what we can do to try to make that better from a police perspective and from a civilian perspective if you understand what I'm trying to say.
0: Absolutely and I think man listen so I, I think it's needed because there definitely has to be some healing right So let me give you a little bit of pushback on when you say that because you know what what people do say and what has been said, is that um, there's like you just said there's no such thing as a good cop, right? And the argument that has been used has been um, so why don't the good cops turn in the bad cops, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. know if you ever saw this uh, this documentary called The Seven um, no. Five about about Mikey Dowd. Mikey Dowd was a was a cop in in East New York, Brooklyn, in in the eighties, and basically he was like a rogue cop that basically Robbed drug dealers, you know, worked for drug dealers. Like this documentary is mind blowing, right? Right, right. And in the the documentary, when he's sitting in front of the commission, you know, being interviewed because the jig is up, you know, he's gotten busted. They asked him directly, what is your definition of a good cop? And he took a pause. He looked down and then he looked up and said, a cop that doesn't turn in other cops, mm-hmm. which is which is a powerful statement, you know, from the standpoint of, you know, I'm, I'm not black, I'm not white, I'm blue, you know, mm-hmm. and that the police and the cops being just the gang of blue. So I, I don't know if you talk uh, uh, about that in your book. Right. But, mm-hmm. you know, can you speak on that? Because, and that's what I mean by like a little bit of pushback about no such thing as a good cop because they don't turn into bad cops and blah, 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 you know. Right. Well,
1: what, what, I'll, what I'll tell you, what I'll say about that is that it's, it, it, it's, it's, t- it's a tough thing to answer, but I'm going to do it the best way that I can. Sure. And that is when you have a group of people, I'm not even saying cops. Um, let's Let's take it to, let kind of flip the script. Let's take it to the, the COVID era, right? Okay. And you have and you have 20 people in a room and two people are not wearing their mask. You know, every, I bet you a lot of other people don't want to wear their mask, but they're doing it because, or maybe vice versa. Two people <laughs> have their mask on, but no one else does. Well, those other people might want to wear their mask, but because of, you know, well, I don't want to feel like this or I don't want to feel like that or public perception blah 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 that are doing what you what you want to do they don't do it because of other people same thing with a cop is that you have a, a department full of police officers and i do understand it and i get it and i believed it where we all stick together but to a certain point and i do reference, reference this part in my book is that yes we all have to do stick together but at what cost because
2: mm. we all have
1: to be held accountable. And it's very hard sometimes for a police officer to say to some another police officer, what you did was wrong, I'm turning you in, or what have you. And a lot of them are worried about the backlash. Oh. They're worried about other cops saying, oh, you're this or you're that. And that's why, and again, and I keep referencing my book, but I also say that it's, it takes a special person to be a cop anybody can be a cop i'm gonna say that i'm gonna say it it probably won't go over well but i'm gonna say it anyone can be a cop anyone can learn how to give out a ticket anyone can be taught how to pull over a car anyone can be taught how to do a search warrant but it, it, you can't be taught when you become a police officer to be empathetic you can't um be taught how to uh conversate with people because that's the biggest thing if you know how to talk to people Your job, that's 90% of the job, is knowing how to talk to people. And if you can't do that, you have a problem. Another part of it is that you have to be able to be your own person, just like I tell my kids, like I said before, be a leader, not a follower. It takes a very special person to be able to stick up to the people that you're working with and saying, hey, you can't do that. Because every cop has to be held accountable. And I know it's a hard thing for another cop to hear, but it's the truth. You have to be held accountable because if you're not, there won't be any change and we'll be in the same boat as we are now. But if you're held, if you hold those cops accountable, trust me when I tell you, other people will go, well, you know what? I don't want this to happen to me. So, Hey, listen, Johnny Jones did this. Mary Sue did this, blah, 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 blah. But it's so easy to say when you're sitting on your couch, that they have to do this or they have to do that. But I, a police officer is a special type of person. And sometimes they take things very personal. And when you have someone who has a gun and takes things personal, you got to think about, think twice about what you say and what you do. Unfortunately, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it it's a very, very tough situation. It's not easy. And like I said, it's, it's easy to be on the outside looking in and I'll give you, uh, an example. It's it's not a, a fact. This is something that I'm just kind of making up as I go. Sure. But you you see a, a kid on the news, right? 13 years old, shot by a cop, right? The first thing people say is, oh my God, the cop should be put in jail, this, that, and the other. But what they don't understand, and I never make judgment on anybody until I know the facts, but I'm more afraid of the 13 year olds than I am the 45 year olds because the 13-year-olds, a lot of them just don't have sense. And you're gonna, you're gonna tell me that if a 13-year-old has a gun pointed at you, you're not gonna protect yourself. And it's kind of hard and I don't mean to be-
2: I got you, it's um, a whole, judgment.
1: Whole like that, but it is. And it's a very hard judgment. And let me tell you something, it's not an easy thing to do, but it comes down to, do I wanna go home tonight? Or do I wanna say, well, He's 13, so let me not do this. But the next thing you know, you're gone. And there's a saying, it's better to be judged by 12 than carried by six. And I'm glad I never had to be put into that situation. And I never wanna be put into that situation. But a lot of people don't realize, and I tell them, if you see a kid and he has a gun pointed at you, what are you gonna do? Yeah. What are you you gonna do? Well, I would try to shoot him in the leg. This
0: is not Hollywood. Yo, it's interesting you you said that, bro, because, and I laughed only because I had a conversation with a New York City police officer, and I asked that very question. I was like, Mm -hmm. yo, man, if a dude has a knife, man, why don't you shoot him in the leg, yo? Like, why are you shooting a killer? And he said to me, he said, yo, a knife is deadlier than a gun. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yo, what are you talking about? He was like, a knife will do more damage to you than a gun. And he's Mm -hmm. like, and we're not taught to shoot in the leg because that's a hard target. Like you can't, like you got to be- Center mass, center mass. Exactly. And that's what's taught. And so when he told me that a knife is more dangerous than a gun, dude, I started paying attention to the news and you know how many people died of like, knife? So I was like, I, yo, it, it hit me. Like, there, like, just as many people dying from getting stabbed than there are, like, right. people getting shot. So I had right. to, you know, I I took that in heed, you know, what it was that he was saying. So that's why when you say, you shoot him in the leg, I was like, yeah. No. yeah. It's, it's a very,
1: Miles, you know, I, I get, sometimes I get when I talk about, the first time i remember talking to anyone you know on a podcast about this but i i sometimes get i don't want to say emotional but sometimes i really get into it because you know i i feel like i'm in the middle of both yeah being a cop and being a civilian yeah. and it's a it's a it's tough for me because i get asked questions about well why do they do this well do, do so because this and you know i try to tell them is that being a police officer is probably one of the hardest jobs in America. One of the hardest jobs in America because you have to make split-second decisions that can last a lifetime. And when I say a last a lifetime, that means you can take someone's life and that will last you for the rest of your life. Yeah. Point blank, period. And to have people judge you on what decisions you make. And granted, some of the decisions, very bad ones. Some of the decisions don't need to be made. But for the most part, when you have a good police officer and he makes a decision and he does what he has to do, he gets crucified for it. And it be like that. Let the facts come out. But people, you know, um, blame them before they hear anything. And do you know, I'm not, I've never watched a video of a police officer shooting, uh, you know, like the unfortunate, rest his soul, George Floyd.
2: Mm-hmm. Any of
1: that, I can't. I can't watch it because one, I don't. It bothers me to see anyone die, whether right. white, white, black, male, female. I don't. I'm that kind of person. I don't like to see it. Number one. Number two. I just. When I watch that, it brings certain emotions out of me that I don't I don't like because it, it, it some things that you see that shouldn't have happened, you watch and you get disgusted.
2: Yeah. You
1: truly get disgusted of why someone would do that. Yeah. You know, why would they shoot someone 60 times? Yeah. Why would they shoot someone who has a cell phone in his hand? Or why, you know, no one takes the time to assess the situation or talk to someone you talk to someone, assess the situation, guess what? A lot of these things wouldn't happen. But people jump to the gun. A lot of cops are scared. Yeah. They don't know what to do. So the first thing they do, you know what? Let me just end the threat. Well, maybe it wasn't a threat. You made it a threat. You know, and it's, it's, it's like I said, Miles, it's a, it's a very tough situation to be in. Um, and like I, I'll say it again, being a police officer is one of the toughest jobs in America. And I just wish for a day that the people who don't give police officers a chance to get put in their shoes just for one day and put in the situations to see how they would feel and what they would do. And I tell you, even if these situations are staged, I can guarantee you that their decision-making is not going to be what you, what they thought it was, you know, but people like, the uh, police officers who killed George Floyd, there was no excuse for that. Absolutely yeah. no excuse. And people, people, and I've heard people say, well, what about the other two cops? And you're right. What about the other two cops? But I will say this um, again, I don't condone it. I wish it never happened, but to the, you know, when you have a cop who's been on for not even a minute, you know what I'm saying? He's, yeah. he's a rookie. And he sees a senior officer doing something, whatever it is. Yeah, They assume that that's the way things are done because they haven't been on long enough to know that you can't do this. or You can't do that. And I know that the next question is, well, a human being would know. You're right. A human being would know. But when you're in a situation like that, if you're if you're a new doctor or a new intern or whatever, you see a doctor do whatever, oh I'm gonna take this medicine home because so and so needs it. You think, okay, well, I can do the same thing. Well probably not. He's doing it because, you know, he feels like he can do it. Yeah. But when you're a new person, you feel, Oh, if that's the case, I can do it too. And that's the problem. Yeah. You know, when you have when you
0: have My- <laughs> senior officers doing that, you can't have that. And I guess also part of the problem too is Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Like everybody right. everybody's like What they would do if they were in a situation that they'd never been in, you know, that they haven't gone to the academy for, they've never been trained for, you know, that it's interesting. I have a friend who recently, you know, came out of the academy and when he was going through it, he would send me text message on like, because we'd always have conversations about police officers and, uh, you know, he would send me text messages like, yo, now I understand. Do you know what right. I mean? Like, cause there's definitely something that, that like hit him, you know, that, that did that. And I, yo, it's crazy, Maddie love we've been on for almost about an hour and um, you know, I appreciate you basically just even saying what you just said to give mm-hmm. anybody, because you know, whether you're pro cop out there, or anti cop out there, you know, I sit somewhere in the middle, you know, right. Right. And most people do. You know what right, I mean? Absolutely. I think, yeah, most people do because you know, and I am one of those Monday morning quarterbacks or whatever. Um mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. but I also, like I said, I did take the police officers test and I decided not to do it because mm-hmm. at that time it was they were targets, you know. And I exactly. was yeah, I, like and like when we talked about, you know, 21 Jump Street or New York Undercover, New York Undercover was like, yo, they were the coolest cops ever, right? And, um, right, right. and 21 Jump Street, they were cool or whatever, but like you said, man what you were doing and everything that was happening was real life and that's real time. And you can't, you know, come back from that. So, right, you know, I right. am grateful that you actually survived it. I'm assuming you did 20 and done or 25. I did and uh,
1: I did uh, I was trying, you can do 20 in my, well, at least in my time we mm-hmm. do 20 and out. I did 24. I was trying to do 25 walked mm-hmm. into work one day and realized I can't do this anymore. And mm-hmm. I put in my papers and I just, I quit, I retired because it was getting to me yep. to the point of, you know, I don't want to say stress because believe it or not, Miles, it wasn't the informers I had to deal with. It wasn't the people that you had to arrest. It wasn't even the people that you had to work with that you didn't like. For me, and again, this is in my book, but the the deciding factor for me were kids. I I was tired of going in to doors, through doors on search warrants having your gun pointed at these kids who are the first people you see when you walk in the door. And it just got to me. And when I had kids of my own, I was like, nah, I, I can't do this anymore. This is, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's breaking my heart or whatever, but it just, it got to me. And a lot of cops, it, it was, they, they were able to kind of let it roll off. But yeah. I was one of those like Velcro dudes where it just kind of stuck to me, stuck to me. until I just got heavy and I was just like, you know, if I can't do my job, the best that I can do it, especially doing the job I was doing, then I need to leave because I don't want to go in it. If I can't say this half ass and uh, go out there and get hurt.
2: Yeah, I not want sure. to do that.
1: And I yep. did not want to hurt anyone else. And I decided, you know, the best thing for me to do is retire, retire where I'm young enough. I'm healthy enough and I can still enjoy my life and enjoy the memories I had being a cop, because like I said, I think the Connecticut state police is probably the best police agency in the entire country. I, I, I believe that. Um, Yes. You have, you have some people who are maybe not the people that you want to work with, but then again, that's any job. But for the most part, everybody that I've worked with has been top notch, not just cops, but just people, Yeah, you know, they were just good people and they all joined it just like I did to do good. You know, it might sound like a cliche, but that's how it was. I wanted to do good. I wanted to make a difference. And I didn't want overtime. I didn't want a new car. But when you help someone, you know, I'll tell you this quick story that's not in my book, but mm-hmm. I'll tell you this quick story. I was on the way to the movies, and I had uh, my cruiser. So this was, a, <laughs> this was a minute, 20-something years ago. Mm-hmm. I was on my way to the movies, and there was uh, a lady in the swale, like in front of the East Hartford uh, movie theaters. And it was between the HOV lane and the regular lanes. And her tire was flat. So I pulled up my cruiser behind uh, her car and state troopers are allowed to keep their cars off duty and drive them, you know, for personal use because they're always on duty, technically. Uh, and uh, I was like, okay, well, my movie starts in about a half hour. But I ended up getting on my hands and knees changed her tire and then I followed her off the uh exit to a garage. And did I have to do that? No, I didn't have to do that. I did it because that's who I was. I missed my movie and she was like, oh you know let me give you something. I was like no 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 no. All I all I, all that mattered to me was she was grateful and she said thank you. Yeah. That's all that mattered to me. And that's how I lived my life and that's how I lived being a cop was I didn't need all these extra things. But when you, when you help somebody and they said, wow, thank you, that, that meant more to me than anything you could give me. Yeah. So that's how I treat my life now is being retired. I don't do things for monetary return. I don't do things for, okay, well, what can I get out of this? I do things for the love of doing them.
0: Yeah, and the love I of humanity. With, it sounds like the love of people. Ex- exactly. And, yeah. and that's The
1: way I, that's the way I was raised. Yeah. And that's
0: the way I raised my kids. Yeah. Shout and, out to moms. I'm sorry, cause yeah, yo, you know I love your moms, yo. Like I, yeah. lo- I love her to death. So shout out to moms. Yeah,
1: and 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 I, and I and I'm glad you said said that because it was because of her, is why I am the man I am today. Yeah. And I've always been grateful for that. And all the, the things that she said to me, all the things, even the things she said to me where I would sit there and roll my eyes going, okay, I don't want to hear this, are the same <laughs> things that I've told my kids, right. you know? And, you know, I'm proud to say that, you know, we raised two beautiful children who are respectful um, and they're just they're just great kids. And I know a lot of people sometimes don't have have that so i have to be careful of what i say yeah but I, i'm very proud of them and they yeah. have made me if i were to and not to get more it, but if i were to die tomorrow I, I could
0: die happy knowing that my kids are who they are absolutely well you know what also i, I also got to give a, a shout out to your sister you know, mm-hmm. Michelle, because your mom raised two great kids as well. So you just followed in your mother's footsteps in the raising of the two great kids, right? Yeah. Her, until, until she heard my name was Maddie Love, then she was like, "You know what? We got to stop." That. <laughs> All right. Well, check this out. Since you said that wasn't how you got the name, or why you got, so now we, we're gonna end it off with how did Maddie Love come about? Because I just knew you as Maddie Love, and then I would see you around campus, and I'd be like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> this this, I'm, I, this is a this is a story that nobody knows. There's
1: only a, a handful of people, and these are the people that I grew up with that actually know this story. I... And, it's, and, it, and, it's not, and it's not what you think. We were, me and I call it my crew, were, uh, we used to hang out um, off of Broadway on 114th Street on the stoops. You know,
2: yeah. and That's when they
1: had the boom, boom boxes that you would carry. Absolutely. You know, you, you, you remember the boom boxes?
2: Yes, yes,
1: exactly. <laughs> and there was a song we were all sitting there listening uh, to the music, and it was a song by Run DMC. I forget the name of the title, but one of the lyrics was, it would go, bop, 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 run love. And oh, so, yeah. Rocking on the mic, you call them
0: Run yeah. Love? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah,
1: yeah,
2: yeah, so exactly. Yeah, we, yeah. We,
0: would, we would turn
1: off, the, we would turn the volume down, and we were all, you know, we were, we were young. We were all, like, turn our Turn the volume down. We're like, yo, Maddie Love, Mikey Love, Ronnie Love, we're all so and so love, right? <laughs> love brothers. <laughs> so, so, two weeks went by, it kind of dwindled down. But me and my boy Mike, we just kept going back and forth, yo, Mikey Love, what's up? Yo, Maddie Love, what's up? And we kept going back and forth. Well, there was a kid that kind of grew up with us. He didn't really hang out with us, but he went to school on that block. So, he was friends with us. And he would call me Maddie Love because we, me and my friend Mike were going back and forth with that well he's the same one my freshman year that went with me not with me but he went to yukon oh, his freshman okay. year
0: okay so
1: i was on campus and he was with this girl and across campus he goes yo maddie love and so the girl he was with goes maddie love i like that and
0: so every time I got introduced, it was Maddie Love, and it just spread like wildfire. Yo, like you know, wildflower. You go up to Yukon, anybody who was up there when we were up there, and be like, yo, you know Maddie Love? Yeah! <laughs> yo, a- Maddie exa- Love. Exactly. But then the funny part was,
1: when I graduated and became a state cop, I had gotten a overtime job during spring weekend up at Carriage House. You remember Carriage House? Of course. And me and three other troopers were standing by the entrance, just watching cars going in and out. And I had just graduated probably a year before that. So I still knew people on campus. Of course. And so a, a carload of girls had driven by and they said, Maddie Love. And so the, one of the troopers goes, who are they talking to? I am like, I don't know. So, <laughs> right? So I, I played funny. it off. I played it off. And then it happened again, except they were walking and they said, oh, Maddie Love. And I was like, oh, and so they were, they were talking to you. And so af- <laughs> after, after that little incident, he took that back to the troop. It says, you know, we're standing there and these girls came up calling Maddie Love. Well, then it spread through the troop. And then from the, it spread to other troops.
0: And then the next thing you know, everyone in the state police knew me as that. And it just continued throughout and it never left yo bro I love that story so now I know that if I'm ever in Connecticut and I get pulled over by a state trooper I know whose name I'm dropping bro I <laughs> going be like yo I'm gonna pay up yo Maddie Love <laughs> yeah yeah you know it, it's it's it's
1: funny but you know it's funny a lot of people thought because I
0: a lot of
2: friends, a lot of friends, women, you had a lot of friends,
1: right? right <laughs> that it was because of that, but it had nothing to do with that,
0: it came straight you from know? 80s hip hop,
1: right? From exactly, hip
0: hop. I love every bit of it. So, yo, yeah. Matt, man, Maddie, Matt, love Matthew the third. I also want to give a shout out to Erin Ortega because I see, yes, part of the you. person that that's a contributor on your book. The book is called Black Behind the Shield, a collection of stories the world needs to hear. Maddie Love, man, I I want to say thank you for blessing me, you know, with this being your first, you know, podcast and you just coming on. Like I said, this podcast is about people I know doing great and amazing things. I think you shed some light on some things that people may have, you know, questions about and. What your your role is as far as why you wanted to do it, and you know yeah. what I didn't tie in is when you told that story about the woman saying thank you, you know, and you missing the movie and all that. That comes full circle back to those police officers coming to your door with a bike. You know what I mean? Right. It's like that. Right. That all ties in together, and you were just giving back what those police officers gave to you. Exactly. So, and if you guys, if
1: you, I don't
0: mean to cut
2: you, I'm no, sorry. No, go ahead, that, man.
1: Go ahead. If 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 you guys can you get that book Black Behind the Shield, you're gonna that um, will inspire you, that will surprise you, make you laugh, might even make you cry. But I can rest assured that they will all be interesting, and you would not be disappointed.
0: So that's that's what's up, yo. Go out there and get that book, Black Behind the Shield, <laughs> a collection of stories the world needs to hear. By my man yes, Matt Barnwell, the third. I didn't even know you was a third, but I also yes, want to sir. give a shout out because you said we didn't talk about it. We we don't we're not going to talk about it. There's a chapter, yep. you know, dedicated to your father. You know, we spoke yeah. about it beforehand. You know, may God rest his soul. You know, yes, sir. I know people will find this book, the story of your father and everything, very riveting. You know, we didn't even mention about how, you know. Like I'm just gonna give the teasers when they read it on Amazon, you know, yeah, where yeah. You almost were, were killed by, you know, you were treated like a suspect and you were almost killed by someone in your own, in your own. De- yeah. You know what I Correct. mean? So I'm gonna just Correct. tease it like that so people will know that this book is riveting, you know, mm-hmm. and that it 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 is definitely a page turner. So yes, thank you for coming on, Maddie Love. Um, Much I, love. I appreciate you. Thank thank you for everybody that's tuned in listening to Six Degrees of Miles. You can email me at six degrees of miles at Gmail. I'm on six degrees of miles on IG, six degrees of miles on Twitter. This is the part that I'm not good at, bro. Like, I'm just like, yeah, because, you, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just like me, man. I do this because I, I want people to just know about people like you. You know, we're all so, like, starstruck and, like, you know, Issa Rae is everybody is trying to hustle up, right? So that means, like, you know, people are trying to get to, oh, I want to be an actor. I need to talk to, you know, uh, right. Spike Lee. You know what I mean? It's like, nah, you need to talk to the people that you know that are on their way up and they're rising, you know? I see big things in the future. We spoke about this a little bit about your book, your stories, there's endless possibilities of, you know, Absolutely. movies and, and you know, Netflix series, TV Absolutely. series, all that kind of stuff, you know? And um, once again, man, thank you for coming on. I
2: thank appreciate you. Thank
1: you. I, yeah. I appreciate you too, my brother. And yeah. if, anybody
0: has any, if
1: anybody has any questions, Whoever want to contact me, shield at Outlook.com.
0: BlackBehindTheShield, one word, at outlet, Outlook.com. Right. And if you want to contact them or find them, yo, go to Facebook and look up Matty Love. Yeah. <laughs> yo, man. Thanks. Thanks a lot, bro. I appreciate you. Thank you, all you right? man. I appreciate you too, brother. All right. We'll talk soon. You got it. All right. Peace. Later.